Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we get revenge on the episode of NXT that originally aired on January 15th, 2014, which it deserves for once again providing us with 45 minutes of television that is completely devoid of women. Mmm, yeah. And how do we get that revenge? With another long-ass women's wrestling history segment, Bob. Fuck you, white chromosomes! I'm gonna learn things. (laughs) Welcome to episode 35 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we had uh, both questions and concerns Mm -hmm. (laughs) as NXT threw us some real curveballs. This episode is a bit more straightforward as it's pretty much just dudes wrestling the entire time. At least once Triple H is done pandering. Yes. I think we're going to have some fun talking about that Neville versus Breeze match, though. Yeah. Slightly less fun will occur when we ring the bell for one of our friends here in NXT. Oh, my goodness. But the fun continues, nay, increases during the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. And after that, it's time to continue the story of women's wrestling in wrestling history of the week. By that point, we'll probably be pretty funned out, so we'll wrap things up as we always do with the cheap pop quiz. But before any of that, we have to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob currently has five points in this, the fourth round of quizzing, after returning me a point on the last episode. Uh, So let's see if we got any closer to that elusive fourth romance novel. Question number one. On this episode, we saw the rare occurrence of a jobber, Baron Corbin, actually looking pretty good for a few minutes before ultimately losing. Next episode, you'll see something even more rare. A jobber we've met before getting a televised entrance. Which jobber would that be? Was it A, Baron Corbin, B, Jason Jordan, C, Ty Dillinger, D, Bull Dempsey, or E, Danny Burch? Bob, you went with C, Ty Dillinger. And unfortunately, that was incorrect. Correct answer, as you now know, was B, Jason Jordan. Yes. Question number two. The next episode kicks off with another appearance from NXT dad slash dastardly authority figure Triple (laughs) H. Why is he here? Is it A, he's here to announce some more authority dictated punishments for Xavier Woods. Uh, B, he's here to announce JBL's replacement as NXT general manager, William Regal. C. He's here to announce that Bo Dallas will defend the NXT Championship at the upcoming WrestleMania 30. D. He's here to announce a special live NXT show that will air on the brand new video streaming service, the WWE Network. Or E. He's here to announce, period. He's joining the commentary team for the duration of the show. I would have liked that one, personally. I would have, uh, too. Bob, you chose D. He's here to announce a special live NXT show that will air on the brand new video streaming service, the WWE Network, and you are correct. I don't know how I got that one, but I'm very pleased, but I, I still, it is a mystery to me. <laughs> And question number three. In a return to our unofficial regular segment entitled, Is There Women's Wrestling? How many women appear on the next episode and in what capacity? Is it A, none? 
B, one, a manager. C, two, in a backstage segment. D, two, in a wrestling match. Or E, four, in two separate wrestling matches. Uh, Bob, you selected C, two, in a backstage segment. That was optimistic of you. The correct answer is B, one, a manager. I was a fool. <laughs> it was Lana. Well, I think when I was writing the intro to this episode that we're doing right now, I uh, forgot that she was there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she was, and she is the only woman on this episode of NXT. Mm. So, Bob, you're now up to six. So, you know, respectable. Got yourself a point. Good job. Six out of ten is a D. <laughs> That's right. And D was the correct answer that you picked to get that point. Yeah. So it's, it all, all, it's all yes, coming together. It all ties back together. Well, Bob, I think we should tie everything in this episode together with Bob's Breakdown. Guys, so Triple H comes out. He's got a better fitted suit now. This time, (laughs) he looks like the cover model for an I Fucked the CEO romance novel. I can kind of understand why Stephanie was like, yeah, I'm gonna fuck that dude. Like, I'm sort of like... Stephanie had a point. I get it. I mean, to be fair, when she initially made that decision, he had long like hair Mm. and it was always like wet. That's not as appealing to me, but (laughs) I current Triple H, I'm sort of like, you know, wouldn't necessarily out of hand say no. He does look a bit like a naked mole rat. I'm just going to say it. Okay, there is that element of it. I don't, maybe it's just I I like naked mole rats in suits. Maybe that's it. I mean, a suit does make most things look better. I will say this is true. That is the magic of, of clothing. And I mean, we have nothing against naked mole rats on this show. They're perfectly fine animals. They're actually really cool in a lot of ways. They are really cool. You know what else is really cool? What's that? NXT is going live on the WWE Network. People have never been so goddamn lit up for a subscription service. I've never, (laughs) like, nobody, whenever Netflix came out, I don't feel like there are people just going, Oh my God, I can watch a Jim Carrey movie whenever. Like, I don't (laughs) think that happened, but maybe it did. Miles, I want to know, what was wrestling like before the advent of subscription services? Was it just a world of DVDs and like just trading with your friends? Yeah, that's I mean, that's exactly what it was. Uh, So my friend Eric and I, who I would love to have on this show sometime. um, Yeah, Eric, I want to meet you. He and I had had a podcast. We had a couple of wrestling podcasts uh, in our day that nobody listened to. Um, (laughs) But we have a collective wrestling library and it lives at his house and I like rent from it, essentially. Um, (laughs) These are DVDs. DVDs that both of us have purchased individually together, like whatever. And it's pretty big. And yeah, that was how you did wrestling is you did like you find some stuff on YouTube. But Mm. um, when I was coming up as a wrestling fan in the early to mid 2000s, Mm. you know, was when I really started getting into westling. You know, you paid 50 bucks for a pay-per-view. Ah, you know, when you I when mean, there was I know a big that's still the price, but still, I mean, when there was a big show, you paid 50 bucks for pay-per-view. You and your friends got together and split it or whatever. And, you know, you taped the fucking TV shows on VHS, or at least I did. <laughs> <laughs> and you bought the big shows on DVD. And that was how you did it. So and the WWE Network was the first wrestling streaming service. Wow. So I mean, as far as I know, I'm pretty sure it was. It was at the very least. It was like the big one. It was the promise of all of mainstream wrestling history for $10 a month. That's pretty good. uh, I mean, we were all pretty into it. And especially because if you didn't have Hulu, which I didn't at the time, you could now watch NXT on the network. So 
It was a big fucking screaming deal for me and many other wrestling fans at the time. Okay. Thank you for the context. Also, uh, the WWE pay-per-views were going on WWE Network, so you didn't have to pay 50 bucks for the pay-per-view anymore, which was a huge deal. Huge deal. I mean, I would have paid $10 a month for the backlog alone, but now you're saying I actually get to follow along with the product on a on a month-to-month basis every time they had a show, like a big show? That was big. It's kind of weirdly low price for the amount of shit you get. Like, I yeah. feel much less angry about that one, even though it's Vince McMahon, than I do about, like, an Amazon Prime or a Netflix or a Hulu. Like, although Hulu, I'm, I'm okay with. But yeah, I, sure. I can see yeah. how it earned its reaction now i hate paying him too like don't get me wrong but oh yeah but i mean we would all rather throw vince mcmahon into the sun i mean let's make that very clear yes i mean and you keep hearing rumors about like tears they they keep talking about like Mm. how they're going to change it up in various ways and i'm sure they will eventually because they must realize that it's an an obscene amount of content for ten dollars a month i know i do appreciate they haven't clued into that i'm like but i mean like guys that disney plus is the same thing though so that's true well match one speaking of things that are should be a made a big deal of because it's neville versus breeze indeed and breeze has the furry leg warmers but he also has a furry belt and it's terrible and i'm really glad he has it (laughs) so the bell goes and then just one one head scissors later breeze is bolting to the outside and Neville runs in place like a cartoon character because he's going to dive to the outside and smash Breeze, obviously. Yep. But no, he runs and he flips and he bounces off the rope and back handsprings into a kneeling pose, arms outstretched and looks yeah. at Breeze like, eat your heart out, pretty boy. And like, probably Neville didn't intend this as a mating display, but I fucking know <laughs> what I saw. I fucking love when high flyers do the yes. thing where they tease the dive and then they bounce back into the ring and just do a pose. Like, it's one of my I favorite things. It. And then back in the ring, Neville kicks Breeze, who sells it like no human being has ever been kicked before. <laughs> and he made this little, like, gasp noise of betrayal. It's amazing. But Breeze isn't going to let this slide. He gets Neville with a jump from the middle rope and just sails in to kick Neville in the head. And then back from commercial, Breeze is in control, but like a narcissist who cannot stop peering into the pool that is his cell phone. He turns his back on Neville. Neville regroups, and by the time Breeze realizes it, runs at Neville, Neville delivers a backbreaker that was so crisp, it was like a fall day. Just yeah, it was a, crunch. It was a tilt-a-whirl, wasn't it? Didn't he like spin him around first? <gasps> oh, I think he did. Oh, yeah. it's very lovely. Yeah, I, that's referred to as a tilt-a-whirl and then the move, whatever you do. Oh, so. tilt-a-whirl anything is so pretty. And Neville goes to the top and as he's speeding down to come at Breeze, Breeze leaps into a dropkick to meet Neville's noggin. And Breeze wants to double down, but instead Neville and Breeze end up in the corner where Neville, who has the thighs of a rugby player, Kicks Breeze in the face (laughs) and Breeze melts to the mat like he has Victorian novel disease and is just sort of wriggling there weakly. That's a fantastic sell. So good. And that's the cue for Neville to do the red arrow. But Breeze scuttles out of the way like a photogenic crab. And Breeze tries the (laughs) beauty shot and Neville turns it into a a tender sit out powerbomb. Mm, yeah, and it was very tender. <laughs> it was actually a little bit. I was sort of like, oh, that's a bit gentle. Yeah, it was a really innovative way to counter the beauty shot. But I think 
I don't think I ever saw that again because I think they realized that like it doesn't look like it has a ton of impact when you do it that way. And Neville goes up again and Breeze rattles the ropes, but it is Neville who ends up rattled as he comes down on his chest a little bit. Breeze climbs up after him and he's going to do a head scissors and Jesus rollerblading Christ, he, <laughs> like just crashed to the mat. Miles, he meant to do that, right? Like that was on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. So the, the idea oh. is that he's he was going for a, a Rana off the top rope where you like flip them over yeah. with your legs. But then Neville grabbed the rope so he didn't move. So the breeze just flipped himself onto the <gasps> mat. It looked very scary. I mean, not as bad as the time whenever Neville just let himself crash to the mat. Yeah. But it was still a, like, I know he meant to do it, but oh my God, please don't do that. So obviously he's crashed to the mat now. It's the end. This is over. So all Neville has to do is just tidy Breeze away with the red arrow on the pin. That's all. And Miles, that match was really good. That was so good. I feel like it should have been the main event. Uh, I completely agree. And as we'll talk about later, so does the crowd. It was a, a really, really tremendous match between these two. I mean, I can't follow that because match two is CJ Parker. <laughs> okay, well, sorry. I mean, CJ Parker comes out. I don't know. It's fine. The audience doesn't leave. No one riots. Like, Jason Jordan gets an entrance and he's our jobber. And the crowd is kind of into it. Like, at the very least, they are feeling it when the match starts and he tries to pin CJ Parker with a bridging pin a pinning bridge he is doing a bridge and a pin at the same time yeah he does a suplex i forget the exact type of suplex that he does but um or no he doesn't do a suplex he does like a a really traditional like wrestling takedown yeah and then and then he because uh, jason jordan is a collegiate wrestler and then he like does a wrestling move like rolls into a bridging pin and it looked yeah. really good it looked really it good did. it looked like he was a collegiate wrestler it's all for nothing because CJ Parker <laughs> does the third eye dunking Jason Jordan in the head, pinning him and then mercifully heading backstage to leave the audience in peace. <laughs> I do love that he's a hippie wrestler and his finishing move is the third eye and it's a strike to the forehead between the eyes. Like that is a that is honestly a nice touch. It is. I do appreciate that it fits the name they gave it and it all works together. Like the yeah. theme is cohesive. Match three. Mojo Raleigh enters with his hypeness on full boil Bo Dallas enters. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. Yep, that's the end of that sentence. <laughs> the bell has not even gone and the crowd is already chanting, no more Bo, yep. no more Bo. So they've, they've made a decision. Now the bell goes and then they're chanting, Mojo, Mojo. So, all right, then we see what's happening. Mojo and Bo do that thing where they bounce off the ropes and collide so you can see who is a strong chonk. And Raleigh knocks Bo out of the ring, so he is definitively the strong chunk. He's the stronger chunk, for sure. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And Dallas tentatively gets back in the ring, and Raleigh gets down on all fours, like, throw the ball! Throw the ball! He does that little dog thing that he does, which I know is a football thing. but It's a football mm, thing, yeah. It's not a football thing. I, I, uh, it doesn't look good in a wrestling match, so I don't know nope. why people keep doing it. <laughs> Bo gets knocked down another three times and he gets two huge splashes in the corner from Raleigh. And I don't care that it's wrestling and it's fake because no one needs a linebacker bodily thrown at them. True. Like having Mojo Raleigh come at you, I don't think there's a way to take that lightly. And Bo dodges a third splash and slides underneath to roll up Raleigh for the pin. But he had the tights, so Raleigh couldn't kick out. 
I don't know. It didn't especially work for me, but to the extent that it did, I guess it kind of put Raleigh over as like, oh man, if Bo hadn't cheated, Raleigh would have just destroyed him. Yeah, I think it's more about Bo and more about how Bo is just kind of pretty much every time you've seen him defend the title, he mm. finds some kind of shortcut. So I think that's Okay. It's just a continuation of like the Bo Dallas championship run, which we are informed is the longest in NXT history, um, <laughs> is kind of all about finding ways to win despite not necessarily being a better wrestler. OK, OK. I can see like that. This is the story of Bo's tenuous grasp on the championship. Exactly. All right. That makes sense to me. All right, Matt, you you have earned back some of your credibility with me. All right. And then match four, it's Rusev versus Kofi Kingston. Kofi Kingston better fucking win. <laughs> and to be clear, Rusev is the size of two Kofi Kingstons. <laughs> Pretty much. And the size advantage here is considerable. And that's sort of the theme of the match. So Kofi tries to use his body weight and it's very, very much not enough. So Kofi throws himself at Rusev in the corner who just clutches him and chucks him back across the ring. Kofi lands a couple of kicks, but when he tries to do an Irish whip on Rusev, I mean... Obviously, that's not going to work. Like, he's just going, come on, why won't you move? <laughs> Kofi is, like, baby-facing his heart out, and I love it. And Rusev grabs the, like, the trap of Kofi or whatever that little thing is right next to your shoulder, between your, like, shoulder and your neck. Yeah, it's a trap. Yeah, I knew yeah. a muscle. And he just grinds into it like he's that one asshole who claims he knows how to give a massage. <laughs> Never believe a man with biceps that size who says that unless he is a licensed LMT. Really? Just stop accepting massages from strangers. That is some <laughs> advice you can take to the bank. Rusev, he's no uh, he's no Conor O'Brien, you know. Mm, no, he's not. Conor O'Brien actually, I feel like, studied to be an LMT for a minute, but like only took some classes because he was like, no, my bae Victor deserves this. That's right. Rusev slings Kofi at the ropes and runs at him, but Kofi dodges out of the way, leaving Rusev tumbling to the outside. Kofi jumps off the top step at Rusev and knocks Rusev to the floor. Extra! And then back from commercial, they're locked up in the ring, and Kofi's strategy, he's keeping on this momentum thing, but when he runs at Rusev, Rusev just lightly holds him like it's absolutely nothing, and then he power bombs him like he wants to break the ring. And yep. Rusev slings him along the middle rope and drives elbows into his face, and then he goes back to the Vulcan nerve pinch. And then the crowd starts doing the wave. Yeah, I want to talk about this. Uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit later. But um, okay. yeah, the crowd's reaction to this match is very, very interesting. But I, I guess, the I don't know, the wave gives Kofi Kingston additional powers or something. Because <laughs> he, he pulls it together enough to drop kick Rusev. And he keeps just throwing himself at Rusev. And he's still getting, you know, caught in midair and then slammed to the mat. Mm -hmm. Like... It's the Hulk. Stop doing that. The Hulk is just going to smash. That's what the Hulk does. Don't yeah. do not do the thing. But Kofi does a move called the SOS, and it's just a real fuck you of a leg sweep. So yeah. much <laughs> stank on it. Just like, no, I'm done yeah, with it. He like you. rolls all the way through with it. It's crazy. It is. It's really cool looking. And Russo is finally down to his knees, and he stays there for some chest kicks, which is, you know, that's polite of him. But you can't keep the Hulk down very long. It's kind of the Hulk's thing. So... <laughs> Rusev tries to grab Kofi, who wriggles out between his legs and does this double leg drop across Rusev's chest. Kofi's waiting for Rusev to get up. He's in the corner. Lana's behind him, screaming in her power suit. Rusev runs at Kofi. Kofi dodges out of the corner. Rusev ends up beamed in the head on the turnbuckle. Miles, turnbuckle. Mm. <sighs> turnbuckle. Yeah. 
And Kofi's like, oh, dang, dude, let me help you with that. And he does a little pirouette of a kick, a <laughs> after dinner mint of a kick. <laughs> and then pins Rusev and it's over and Kofi won. That is the trouble in paradise is the name of that move. And it is Kofi's finisher. I think it looked a little bit uh, more thin minty yes. uh, because like there just wasn't a ton of space between them. Usually Kofi um, has more room to oh, complete okay. his like rotation on that move. But they did kind of a weird thing where like Rusev went into the corner and then stumbled backward. And Kofi really only had like a couple of feet to, yeah. to do his whole thing. So it didn't look great, but that is his finisher. Yeah. Okay. I did kind of go, that looks like not the hardest kick, but it's effective apparently. Well, thank you for that breakdown, Bob. Uh, tell me how you found this episode. I enjoyed it a lot. I was happy that the people I wanted to have win won. I mean, I, with CJ Parker and Bo, it's like a thing you just accept. Right. But yeah, you, you knew in both those matches who was winning. So Yeah, and I was kind of like, oh, all right, I can I can take that. But getting to see Neville win, that was really fun. That match was fantastic. I texted you about it because I was like, what? Yeah, this match is so good. I know. I was excited for you to watch it. And then that was the most I've liked Rusev. I okay. will not say that I am a Rusev person now, but I was like, okay, you have shown me that you can do more interesting storytelling than just going like strong chunk does strong chunk things. And I feel that this episode was destined to do well with me just based on the previous episode. I mean, yeah, really like, you know, you're coming off that one. Most anything is going to look good. All right, well, we're going to move on to uh, the next segment of our show. But before we do, Bob, we have to ring the bell. Oh, boy. We are ringing the bell for Kofi Kingston. OK, all right. He has to go back to the main roster. I get that. Yeah, this is Kofi's final appearance in NXT. He didn't have a long stay, but I am glad we got to talk about him a little bit. Yeah, he, he's had a long and fascinating WWE career, having been with the company since 2006. Oh, wow. Um, He's the first African-born wrestler in WWE history. Oh, my God. So, of course, he debuted on television as a Jamaican character, mm. um, despite the fact that he's from Ghana. He didn't drop his fake Jamaican accent until 2009. Oh, my God. Um, like many black athletes in WWE, Kofi enjoyed limited success. By the time mm. we met him at the very beginning of 2014, he had won every championship available to him multiple times, except the world championship. Yeah. Um, but he was sort of directionless and he didn't have a ton going on in the character department. However, not too long after his brief stint in NXT, Kofi <gasps> joined forces with Biggie Langston and Xavier Woods to form Yay! the New Day. And in many ways, the rest is history. And we'll talk a bit more about the New Day when we eventually ring the bell for Xavier Woods. Mm, but yeah. um, suffice it to say for now that the faction played a big role in the miraculous journey that led Kofi to finally win the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 35 in 2019. Fuck yeah. Um, he is still an active performer with the company today and seems to be just kind of living his best life, which is all anyone can ask for. And his podcast is fucking great. So, yeah, Kofi rules. And uh, yeah. it's, it was nice that we got to, to actually get a couple of appearances. Yeah, I was really happy to get to see him. Well, with that, it is now time for the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. So, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw 
that Tyler Breeze is really fucking good at acting and I kind of like him now. (laughs) I don't like his character because I don't really like, I like a Phantom of the Opera kind of asshole, not sort of preening asshole usually. Sure. I make no mistake. I'm a problematic person. I like an asshole. But um, (laughs) I, I was so struck by how great he is at selling everything and how much fun he is to watch whenever he reacts to things mm-hmm. he is compelling and i was like okay i i think i get it now i might be at 70 percent with him now oh wow that's a jump yeah i mean he really got me with that victorian novel swoon okay i mean yeah i don't blame you this is probably like i would say this was like the first great tyler breeze match that we've seen yeah. um, and there are more to come he's a really good okay. wrestler I remember when he first came in and I was like, what the fuck is this shit? This is stupid. <laughs> and NXT has had this happen a few times, a number of times over the years where it's like, man, this gimmick is dumb and should not work. Why am I cheering? <laughs> oh, my God. That's cool. So, and Breeze is kind of the uh, the archetype of that. And I just I really love him and appreciate him. And I'm glad that you're coming around a little bit, Bob. It makes me happy. All right. Yay. And Miles, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw uh, Triple H coming onto the stage from uh, backstage. Specifically, just like the little thing he did when Triple H. And this is our first real appearance of like. Triple H as NXT dad, like mm. proud father Triple H. He's not doing the authority <laughs> thing, but this is like his baby. This is kind of his show. And he has a very specific demeanor when he like comes out as NXT dad. You know what I mean? Yes. And when he comes out to the stage, he just does this thing. It's not exaggerated. It's like he, he has his hands. And he just kind of does like this, you know, where his yes. hands kind of like up just a little bit at his sides, palms raised. And he's like, Thank you. Give it up for me. Yes, I am great. I'm not going to make a big deal of how great I am, but I love you too. A mild acceptance of praise palms out. It is very much like I am the fucking king of this little kingdom. Like I I will allow you to worship me. Definitely my kind of abiding attitude of Triple H from an NXT standpoint. It's kind of how I see him whenever he shows up here. And I think it's a big part of the reason why he gets so much like love when he shows up because he carries himself that way of like, because we all know also that like Triple H is not the greatest person in the world. No, I I don't want to know too much about him because I don't want to like be enraged all the time, but I suspect he's probably not great. And we know intellectually that like he's all about that corporate, like the branding and the money and the, you know, the expansion. And he's he's not actually like the man of the people that he kind of portrays himself to be. But it's (laughs) nice to fucking king. Yeah, typical king. And it's nice to kind of pretend he is. And it's kind of like when, you know, you know, your dad doesn't really like you that much, but you still kind of want his <laughs> approval, you know, or, or oh my not, even, God, not even that he doesn't like you, but like, you know, but like he cares. He's more work focused. You know what I mean? Oh, OK. So All like right. Those brief, I was like, Jesus Christ. Those brief moments where he comes to your baseball game. You know what I mean? It's kind of a big deal. Right. And you. Yeah. Anyway, this is getting depressing. That is what my elf I saw, though. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, Bob, what is your vulgar? here tom phillips saying uh-huh. about bo's white attire that it was oh my god bo describes it as pure as the driven bow right he wants his fans to know that he is as pure as the driven bow i appreciate on a deep fundamental level the fact that everybody has just decided we all are going to do bow puns and that's just how we do things here. <laughs> that's yes, absolutely. I love that there is a universal commitment to the bow pun and 
Good for them. Hard Miles, agree. what did your Vulcan ears hear? So my Vulcan ears heard the crowd reaction during Kofi and Rusev. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is the first instance in our coverage that we've heard a crowd absolutely just turn on a match. And again, this is a period where the crowd is starting to do that, like, more often. Like, main roster crowds, too. Like, the match was fine, but it was a lot of, like, Rusev holding that fucking nerve hold on the trap, which is... It's just the most boring hold you could possibly apply. I mean, I liked it for, like, nerd reasons, because I was just like, oh, he thinks he's a Vulcan. That's cute. (laughs) But yeah, the crowd starts doing the wave. They start chanting for Goldberg at one point. I couldn't keep track of all the chants. They chanted for Goldberg. I know that. They chanted for uh, Tensai, who was one of the ones on commentary. By the way, commentary is garbage throughout this episode, but yes. I couldn't I couldn't pick out a specific instance that I wanted to talk about this instead. But l- just let it be written. Alex <laughs> Riley or no Alex Riley, the commentary needs to fucking get better soon. Yes. I, I don't know how much I can take before I start watching on mute. Um, <laughs> but they start sarcastically chanting match of year at one point. Oh, boy. Which is just like such a burn. Um, yeah, it's rough, man. And like, what's funny is that at the end, when Kofi, like, starts doing his shit and starts, like, doing his taunts like he's going to win, the crowd actually, like, gets into it for a moment at the end. They're like, yeah, yeah Kofi, like, we like Kofi. We wish the match had been more exciting. They even start chanting, thank you, Kofi. Yeah. After he wins. So it's like, it's not him. It's the fact that the match was just kind of slow and boring. It was. I was sort of like, am I supposed to like this? Miles, I'm not supposed to like this, am I? I mean, I see why you like Rusev, like why this match helps you like Rusev because of the way he's presented in it. Yeah. But but the match itself was was not definitely not worthy of main eventing over Neville and Breeze. Oh, God, no, not even close. I'm fairly confident the only reason it did was because it had Kingston in it. Yeah. All right, Bob, for this episode, what did your human heart feel? Relief. <laughs> This episode was so much better than the previous episode. (laughs) Orders of magnitude better. Yeah, you're not wrong. Also relief that Adrian Neville and Kofi Kingston won because I was just going, oh, please, please. I do not want to see Rusev win over Kofi again. And I definitely I never want to see Adrian Neville look bad. Not ever. I know that at some point he's probably not going to be a nice boy anymore. I still don't care. He is my beautiful hobbit boy and I want him to do well in this world. (laughs) And Miles, what did your human heart feel? I I just had a lot of Kofi feelings in this episode, to be honest. Like, I just love him. Yeah, Um, he's real great. uh, A lot of the times when I'm prepping for these shows, I go back and do some research and, and I read like what sort of the wrestling Internet was saying about these NXT shows at the time. Oh, that's fascinating. And man, Kofi just got so much shit. He got so much shit. And especially at this point of his career. And like, it's understandable. He had been doing the same fucking character, the Mm. same fucking shtick for so long. He hadn't been a Jamaican guy since 2009. It had been like four or five years. And he was still, the music hadn't changed. The fucking logo hadn't changed. Like the whole entrance thing, his taunts, his moves, everything was the same. And it was just the same. And like, I totally get why people were bored with him. And I'm sure he was super frustrated. But like, 
hearing the crowd chant thank you Kofi in NXT was just a reminder that like people did love the guy like he was a multiple time champion for a reason he was really good and he had a real connection with the audience but anything is gonna get stale and watching all this made me so gratified that like in the summer of 2014 not long from now the new day is gonna start and Uh. and things just pick up from there and Kofi gets to be a part of one of the most iconic factions in WWE history, the most iconic black faction in WWE history by Fuck far. Yeah. And like the most important like group of black wrestlers in wrestling history, probably. And then for him to like have that, like that super organic rise to the top at WrestleMania 35, where the crowd like kind of did like a, a Daniel Bryan thing with him, which was ironic because <sighs> he was wrestling Daniel Bryan for the title. Aww. And so the, and the crowd did the thing where they like demanded Kofi and they wanted Kofi and the way we got to his championship match and him winning at WrestleMania and being WWE champion finally. And like, it didn't end the way I wanted it to end. It ended with him being squashed by Brock Lesnar and I hated Uh, it. But like, the fact that it even happened, I just have so many Kofi Kingston feelings and like, not to come back to this, but listening to the New Day podcast, like, he's just like, he seems like such a nice guy. He does! Like, I really, I want good things for Kofi every fucking day. All of the New Day. I just want them to be happy. Yeah, and like, we're not really gonna get to talk about him again, and I just wanted, like, and I was I was full of feelings in this episode for Kofi Kingston, and I wanted to express them. He legitimately is, like, just one of the great wrestlers of our generation. That's wonderful. So those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. It's now time for wrestling term of the week. But first, (laughs) we need to hear Bob's fanfic explaining last episode's wrestling term of the week, which was grabbing the tights. So, Bob, I want to know what happens. Before I do anything else, I just want to say thank you to my beloved husband, Neil, also known as Neil. Neil. (laughs) Neil. For this character suggestion, which he has had, you know, in his heart for a long time. And I was really waiting to figure out what am I going to do with them? But this felt like a natural choice and it is not a sexy choice, but it is. I think you'll agree the right choice. Okay, let's hear it. The mascot belt title match was hotly anticipated. It wasn't the first time Trix and Nesquik had gone up against each other, but they were profoundly different rabbits. Trix twitched his nose, inwardly seething. That cheerful little bunny smile of Nesquik's. That chocolatey brown fur that made people go, aww. The fact that he sometimes came in on his skateboard and everyone thought he was so cool. And he got to drink the Nesquik. No one ever tried to stop him. No one ever said silly rabbit to the Nesquik bunny. Oh, Quickie had it made. And he didn't even have a damn clue how good he had it. Trix would show him. Nesquik loped to the ring with that easygoing, goofy smile, passing out bottles of Nesquik and letting kids ruffle his fur. Trix would wipe (laughs) that stupid grin off his face. He'd send the whole roster a message. He was here to win. Trix hardly remembered the match. It flashed past him in a fever dream, a fruity, sugared haze. The drop kick to the face, the leg sweep from Quickie, the kip up, the suplex he delivered and the chest slaps he got in return. Quickie gave him a crossbody that knocked the breath out of him. Trix struggled to his feet and got a kick to the chest. He barely flinched. Trix knew, though. He knew what he had to do. It wasn't good, and it wasn't popular, but winners had to do what it took. And he was a winner, goddammit. 
Quickie was turned to the audience, enjoying their adoration. Trick shuffled behind him and grabbed the back of his legs, bowling him over into a roll-up, pushing all of his weight down on top of Quickie and at the last minute, for good measure, grabbing the tights. He wasn't going to let this title shot get away from him. The ref wasn't positioned to see him. The audience was heaving in outrage. The bell sounded. But Trix didn't care. They handed him the title belt. He could taste the victory on his tongue. It tasted just like a bowl of Trix. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that. Uh, Bob, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Did not know we were going to get the bunny battle between uh, two corporate entities on this episode. Oh, but yeah. If the corporate world isn't grabbing our collective tights right now, I don't yeah, know what's happening. Exactly. This is all this is all part of the circle. But also, I want to say, if you want the prequel to this episode 17 oh. as the the prequel to this one, which is Tricks versus Chocula. Oh, yeah. I forgot we did that. Yeah, that's right. Okay, it's a little little tricks uh, internal universe happening here. The yes, story there of is. the tricks bunny. Thank you, Neil, for uh, those uh, truly bizarre suggestions. We appreciate you as always. <laughs> I personally enjoyed the image of the uh, the Nesquik rabbit handing out bottles of uh, Nesquik chocolate to people in the crowd, like entire bottles. Yeah. I imagine that arena is very difficult to clean at the end of the night. Oh boy! Well, it is now time for wrestling history of the week. Yeah. And we are back with another edition of the history of women's wrestling. Hell yes. Seen through the lens of WWE and specifically WrestleMania. If you haven't listened to the earlier segments of this, uh, I highly recommend you uh, catching up. If you if you feel like learning about the history of women's wrestling, uh, these segments have occurred on episodes 20, 25 and 30 previously. So uh, you can go back and uh, check those out. Probably going to be another long one, so strap the fuck in. Last time, we talked about Miss Elizabeth and how she was the face of uh, women in WWE for uh, the majority of the late 80s, early 90s, and how, as a result of some moolah shenanigans that we talked about with the tag Mm. team titles, and then the WWF Women's Championship was eventually retired, and uh, we did not have any women on the show. Now we get into a a very interesting little pocket of women's wrestling history. It's not entirely clear why Vince McMahon attempted to revitalize the WWF women's division in 1993. Most sources simply say he, quote, saw the opportunity to do so without spending much time on his reasons. However, it's a safe bet that one of the primary reasons was the rise of Deborah Michelli, the woman who would become synonymous with a very specific moment in wrestling history. McMahon rarely missed a chance to snatch up talent he thought could make him money, while at the same time depriving his competition of said talent. And Michelli was no exception. Known professionally as Medusa, Ooh. not a mythological reference, by the way, no. uh, a sort of portmanteau of the phrase made in the USA. Yeah. No. She had first seen success on the barren landscape of American women's wrestling in the late 80s, but what truly set her apart was the time she spent in Japan. In 1989, Medusa became the first foreigner to sign a full-time contract with All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling, or AJW, the same promotion that had produced the Jumping Bomb Angels, who we talked about last time, and that in the 80s and 90s set the bar for women's wrestling so high 
that it has arguably never been surpassed. Oh, wow. Medusa spent more than a year in AJW, absorbing the Japanese style and working with some of the best wrestlers in history. And when she returned to the United States, she brought Japan back with her. Alundra Blaze, as Vince McMahon rechristened her, debuted for the WWF on December 13th, 1993. And the conditions surrounding her arrival served to really underscore the place of women in the company at the time. So the women's championship was being revived via a tournament. But most of the tournament was untelevised and involved wrestlers, even the most diehard of wrestling fans have probably never heard of. We're talking about Black Venus and Rusty Thomas and Angie Marino. Yeah, I never heard of them. You've never heard of them. Don't pretend that you have. (laughs) It's not even entirely clear how the tournament worked. We know that Black Venus lost to a somewhat notable wrestler at the time named Heidi Lee Morgan in the first round, and we know that Morgan defeated Rusty Thomas in the second round to move on to the finals. But how Blaze got to the finals is more mysterious. Um, Most sources believe she defeated a wrestler named Allison Royal in the first round, but that match took place in the United States Wrestling Association, not WWF, and Blaze was still going by Medusa at the time, since she still hadn't debuted on WWF television. If that was part of the tournament, then her victory somehow allowed her to skip the second round entirely and go straight to the final, where where she defeated Morgan in her very first televised WWF match to win the championship. Yeah, that was American women's wrestling at the time, a six-woman tournament with wrestlers nobody had ever heard of, where only the finals were televised. And with the title being won by someone who may or may not have participated in the tournament at all. Oh my god. And this is like, you know, way back in the long ago days of 1993, where sourcing apparently is hard to come by. (laughs) To top things off, Blaze's title-winning television debut didn't even take place on WWF's brand new flagship show, Monday Night Raw. Oh, wow. Being relegated instead to a little-known show called All American Wrestling. In short... The revival of the women's division was off to a fantastic start. Blaze defended her championship against both Morgan and the perennially underrated Luna Vachon in early 1994, and she wrestled a three-minute championship match against a past-her-prime Leilani Kai Mm. at WrestleMania 10, which was the first WrestleMania to feature two matches involving women, as Luna Vachon also competed in a mixed tag team match on the show. But... Blaze quickly realized that the WWF had nothing for her in terms of quality opponents. McMahon's idea had been to bring in Blaze as the face of the new women's division, but he didn't bring in anyone else. Oh, my God. So as a result, Blaze had nobody to wrestle, which is why after WrestleMania 10, she pitched McMahon on his old idea from the late 80s, introducing the WWF audience to some of the stars of AJW. McMahon agreed, and WWF hired a Japanese wrestler by the name of Bull Nakano. Oh, what? I think I've heard of Bull Nakano. Yeah, Bull Nakano was massive and menacing, known aesthetically for her huge spiky tower of hair and her iconic face paint. I highly recommend Bob and all of our listeners to take a moment to Google image search Bull Nakano. You are welcome. Oh, I'm in love. I'm in love. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, oh, she's that great. Face paint is the fucking 
best. It's like cracks in like dry land. It's gorgeous. From a wrestling perspective, she was known for her time in AJW, where she was coming off an almost three year reign as the promotion's top champion. Oh, shit. She and Blaze had a legendary title match at SummerSlam 1994. Honestly, one of the few matches from this era that actually really holds up today, which really shows you like how far ahead of their time AJW and their wrestling style was. And Nakano would defeat Blaze for the WWF Women's Championship later that year in Japan. She was actually the champion the night of WrestleMania 11, but she neither wrestled nor appeared on the show, which is a shame because WrestleMania 11 is widely considered to be among the worst WrestleManias of all time. And maybe it wouldn't be if it had a bold Nakano match. Yeah. The following night on Raw, Blaze won the title back from Nakano. And after the match, she was viciously attacked by another familiar face from AJW, the Canadian born Monster Ripper. That's a hell of a name. It is a hell of a name. The plan, reportedly, was to have Monster Ripper feud with Nakano while Blaze took some time off. Uh, Monster Ripper claims that it was to get her uh, her nose and boobs done. I couldn't confirm that. But as it turned out, the match where Nakano lost the title would also be her final match with WWF, as she was arrested for cocaine possession and immediately fired. Aw, come on, WWE, where's your sense of fun? (laughs) Monster Ripper, meanwhile, would never wrestle a match or appear again in WWF under that name. Instead, the well-traveled veteran heel who had dominated AJW as far back as the late 70s and early 80s was repackaged as Bertha Faye. A comedic trailer trash character. Oh. Where the joke was that she was a fat lady dating a skinny man. Oh, no. I'm not surprised, but I'm so sad. Yeah. Uh, While she did get a run with the women's championship, she was well past her prime in the ring. And in any case, she was not allowed to do any of her traditional power moves because those moves belong to the men. Um, By the end of the year, Alundra Blaze was once again champion and WWF had even brought in a few more Japanese wrestlers, including the legendary Aja Kong. Oh, wow. For like a match or two. But McMahon's already tepid interest in women's wrestling had faded. And in December, Blaze was laid off due to budget cuts Mm. while she was champion, incidentally. Oh, my God. During her two years with WWF, she had wrestled a grand total of 12 televised (gasps) matches. Holy fuck. Bunch of uh, non-televised matches, but only 12 matches on TV. Now, Blaze was immediately picked up by WWF rival World Championship Wrestling, or WCW, where she re-debuted as Medusa and, on her very first night, was talked into a publicity stunt that has been called the first shot in the burgeoning Monday Night Wars, a period in which WWF and WCW battled for rating supremacy with their respective Monday Night Wrestling shows, Raw and Nitro. Despite having been fired, Manusa still had possession of the WWF Women's Championship. Hell yeah. Arriving on Nitro for the first time, she declared WWF trash and dropped the title belt into a nearby garbage can. Fuck yeah. McMahon responded by permanently vacating the Women's Championship, effectively retiring the title once again. Aw, what a baby. WrestleMania's 12 and 13 would pass without a women's match, and WrestleMania 14 would only have another mixed tag. Incidentally, despite bringing in Medusa, Boldacano, and even Miss Elizabeth, the dysfunctional WCW would also completely drop the ball in building a women's division, and the late 90s became an absolute wasteland for women's Mm -hmm. wrestling, in which, for all intents and purposes, neither company had a women's championship. However... 
It was WCW's near victory in the Monday Night Wars that would ultimately push McMahon to revive the Women's Championship yet again in 1998. In his search for weapons he could use against his surging rivals, he seized on one that, like it or not, absolutely required women, and that is sex appeal. Yep. And we will talk about that next time we do this, probably in another five episodes. (laughs) (laughs) So that was your Wrestling History of the Week. Uh, Hope that wasn't too much, Bob. Fortunately, you have two episodes to come up with a fanfic. I do. With some hook uh, in that one, because... I'm very pleased to announce that on, on our next episode, we have a a long awaited and a long overdue guest yes. on the next wrestling fan because we're going to have hub from Titan of the Defense on the show. Yes, we are. So a full four weeks, Bob, before you have to come up with the fanfic for that. All right. There's a lot to work with. Well, Bob, it's about time for us to get out of here. We can't do that until we complete the cheap pop quiz. All right. I'm flexing my quiz muscles. Question number one. Next episode is a fairly momentous occasion, as we have a new NXT ring announcer. Her name is Eden. But Bob, because you're a viewer of All Elite Wrestling, you know her by another name. Okay. What name would that be? Is it A, Britt Baker? B, Penelope Ford? C, Ivelisse? D, Aubrey Edwards? Or E, Brandy Rhodes? I'm going to say Brandy Rhodes. Okay. She's not Curi- that old, but the other ones seem like they'd be way too young. All right. Question number two. Eden isn't the only new person you're going to be introduced to on the next episode. Who else is showing up in our coverage for the first time? Is it A, a jobber with a cowboy gimmick named Wesley Blake? Oh, that's a fun name. B, Sin Cara, a.k.a. Hunico's new masked luchador character. C, Main roster superstar The Miz and the super annoying thing he was doing at the time where he just said the word really over and over again. Ooh, bad call. D, both A and C, so the jobber and The Miz, or E, all of the above. I'm going to choose E because I have to choose E. I, okay. If it's all of the above, I always have to choose all of the above, which okay. I know you know is now my trap. Uh, question number three. In addition to the newcomers, we also have a long-awaited return, as Charlotte Flair is back in the building, finally reuniting all three members of the BFFs. What does she do in the next episode? A. She does a backstage interview with Devin, and accompanies Summer and Sasha to the ring for Summer's match against Natalia. B. She does a backstage interview with Devin, but inexplicably doesn't accompany Summer and Sasha to the ring for Summer's match against Natalia. C. She accompanies Summer and Sasha to the ring for Summer's match against Natalia and attacks Bailey, who is there to support Natalia after the match. She better not. D. She accompanies Summer and Sasha to the ring for Summer's match against Natalia and gets attacked by Bailey, who was there to support Natalia after the match. Mm. Or E. She accompanies Summer and Sasha to the ring for Summer's match against Natalia, but when she and Bailey both interfere in the match, Triple H appears and restarts the contest as a tag team match with Bailey and Natalia against Summer and Charlotte. Mm, the backstage interview, but doesn't accompany them to the ring because it sounds like the kind of thing that they would do to drop the ball and like that they would just go, <laughs> eh, we didn't think about it. Like they would just do something <laughs> like that. Okay, choosing B. She does a backstage interview with Devin, but inexplicably doesn't accompany Summer and Sasha to the ring for Summer's match against Natalia. Am I wrong about the fact that they would do something like that, Miles? You are absolutely not wrong about that, no. (laughs) 
Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, thank you once again for joining me. Thank you. It was cream cheese. Everything is cream cheese. We didn't think that was the case. We didn't think that's how physics work, but it is. And thank you as well uh, to all of our cream cheese filled patrons. Yeah. Um, Presumably. I don't know. Maybe some of you are lactose intolerant. I don't know. Thank you so much for being a patron of the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, We have some stuff uh, coming your way as a result of that. But first, I think we want to talk about something else. Right, Bob? Yes, we do. Okay, so. There is an election happening in Georgia, and I think you know the politics of this podcast. We are not just flaming liberals, raging, raging progressives. Yeah, Um, I like calling myself a liberal, to be honest. No, I know, right? Progressive or just socialist is fine. Yeah, exactly. Raging socialists. So we want to make sure that uh, Georgia goes blue, stays blue. So what we are doing is we are going to raffle off a bonus episode um, for anybody who donates to the campaigns for the Dems in uh, Georgia. So for every $5 that you donate, that gets your name in the pot. And then we are going to have that close up shop on December 12th. So that way we can get in touch with everybody and make sure that the winner finds out that they're the winner and we can make a bonus episode and put it out on the feed for everybody. So if you would like a bonus episode of your choosing, whatever you want it to be, if you want to make us watch My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, one, that would be amazing. But also, if you, I don't know. Okay, fine. Not that. No, it's fine. I mean, look, if they choose it, if they choose it, I'll watch it. It's cute. You'll like it. So that's how that's going to work. We're not going to make you donate through a specific portal. However you want to do it. If you want to donate through like Black Pack or if you want to donate directly to the candidates or if you want to donate through any of the other millions of progressive organizations out there that are doing work to fund this and make sure that Ossoff and Warnock are elected, then that is totally fine. The way that you're going to let us know is that you will email us you know, uh, a clip of the confirmation, just letting us know how much you donated. So that way we know how many times to put your name in there. Yeah. And that that's sufficient. And make sure it's through email. So that way we can't lose it. And also don't put your information on Twitter. That's irresponsible. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Email us at NXTWrestlingFan at gmail.com. I just want to make clear that, uh, you know, Bob and I acknowledge that electing Democratic politicians is hardly the uh, the no, ultimate yeah. solution to all of our problems. <laughs> oh, um, certainly not. I mean, only full scale revolution. But, you right, know, exactly. You got you to work up to that. If both of the Georgia seats, which are going to run off, are won by the Democratic politician, then the Senate will be split 50-50 Democrat-Republican with uh, the vice president, Kamala Harris, being the tiebreaker, which means there's a much better chance of some kind of incrementally progressive policy going through Congress. If they lose one or both of those seats, then it's much harder. You know, McConnell remains majority leader and it's much harder for anything to get done. So we are thinking short term. We are thinking practical and we really would like to make it so that, you know, at least some stuff can get through our crazy dysfunctional government system. We're not above being motivated by spite. I just kind of want to ruin Mitch McConnell's years. This is a wrestling podcast and wrestling is all about that. Yeah, exactly. If I could suplex Mitch McConnell, I fucking would. <laughs> hey, speaking of things that uh, wrestling is all about, it's all about romance, as we know it is. now. Oh my We've god, it is all learning about Learning that for 35 episodes. Um, and we just wanted to uh, let you guys know that the uh, third romance novel episode is either already out as you listen to this or will be out very shortly. It's part one. Part two is a beast, but it's going to be out. I'm going to drink 85 Red Bulls and just do it. 
So part one is the one with me. Yes, part one is the one with Miles. Part two is going to be with uh, Marissa Bond, David Waters, and uh, Josh Vasky Huff. And we all talk about what there is to love about Blue Alien Dicks. When you know what? There's a lot to love. Um, <laughs> and on to the romance novel that we'll be reading next. It is going to be Duke in Disguise by Kat Sebastian. If you are into socialist bookshops and fighting censorship and also... I don't know, childhood best friends sort of falling in love and um, fighting the power. This is the romance novel for you. Kat Sebastian frequently describes their writing as Marxist romance, and it kind of is. It's real good. I feel like you threw this one my way, Bob, to sort of make up for the fact that I didn't like Ice Planet Barbarians. <laughs> that is precisely what I did. I, I had this one in my back pocket as like scooby snacks for miles it's like look it's fighting the power you'll love it i will i'm sure i will and speaking of other things that we love we love all of you and so we wanted to let you know for our ten dollar patrons it's going to be holiday postcard time if you want to get in on this holiday postcard goodness you can up your pledge there will probably be some leftovers later on if you up your pledge later on if you know now is not a good time that's okay i will make sure that you get a postcard even if you're like okay i'll up it in like six months whenever things are i don't know less holiday but bob yes what is the postcard gonna be oh oh there's voting happening right oh. this very now and the voting options are an airbud poster but it's sammy zane leaping to do a move The Ascension sharing a bag of blood with two straws and gazing into each other's eyes. Corey Graves, sulky elf rogue, and Adrian Neville, sweet halfling monk, hanging out together. And then pre-boss Sasha Banks looking into a mirror and boss Sasha Banks looking back. Evil mirror. Absolutely. And the voting for that ends on December 1st, so please make sure that you get your vote in. If you want to be a voter in that, make sure that you up your pledge by that time. Obviously, you don't have to, but I just want to make sure that if you do want to vote, that that's whenever you get that done. Also, uh, one last thing to our patrons. Uh, Bob and I have recorded uh, the episode where we go over everything that happens on the first Next Wrestling Fan Federation pay-per-view, Ill Omens. Uh, So that will be out sometime soon. So just keep an eye out for that. That is recorded in the can. I have to edit it, but it will be in your ear holes very shortly. You guys were all so beautiful as wrestlers. Every single one of you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. We will see you again in two weeks. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.
I would like to tag you in on a somewhat unrelated matter because if you are not familiar with WWE Network, whenever they do commercials, it is inevitably a commercial for whatever the WWE is doing. Mm-hmm. And so... Which is... What's the point? But yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they were talking about a feud between John Cena and Randy Orton and I was really curious, was it a cool feud or was it just some dumb bullshit? Oh, man. Oh, um, boy. I didn't realize. Here, I just was like, let me stick my hand into this giant vat of worms. 